0: The world live from Seattle, Washington. We are endless summer, diving into the news,
1: moves, and stories shaping your Seattle sports scene. You've made it to the end of the internet, where the summer never ends. And now, your hosts, Evan James Audio, Alex to the Andrew. We are endless summer. Hey, and welcome back to the Endless Summer Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm joined by my co-host Evan. We're gonna go ahead and jump into uh some quick recaps of the all-star game. We're gonna talk to uh you know Cal and Jared being called back up, the continued strangeness of run differential and how it apparently doesn't matter, Jake Fraley, Terenz, and we'll close it out with some second half predictions. By the way, this is a Seattle Mariners a baseball podcast that I completely blew past to give you a table of contents. So I've got this podcast <laughs> thing down on lock. How are you doing, Evan?
0: <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, having fun watching the Mariners lately. It's been a uh, it's been a long half, but a good half, and I've had a lot of fun watching baseball and kind of chatting about it so far this year. It's been a it's been a good time. Um, I I didn't realize how much I think I missed baseball. Last year being kind of a regular part of my season and of my year. And um, it's yeah, it's just been really nice. It's been comfort food in kind of a strange time with the whole pandemic coming and going and kicking back up a little bit. It's been really refreshing and grounding to have baseball. Um, what would you say about that? Yeah,
1: it has been really great. I haven't been able to watch as much, but I've always like caught highlights and gone back and read through the subreddit, looked at the box score. So I've stayed uh, up to date, just not seen every single pitch for every single game. But I've definitely stayed, um, you know, and I think all we can say is that we can say, uh, fuck the Pythagorean win loss um, because the Mariners are very much saying no to that. Uh, It's been a weird, weird season, but it's been a good season. And it's good to see this talent uh, coming through. I was watching the broadcast last night. Apparently, we've had nine players make their majors debut this season, which is really when you think about it from an MLB, from a majors perspective, that's pretty substantial. And the fact of the matter is, is we're only halfway through the season. So that number could very much change. And I think that's taking out like the you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, what September, uh, roster expansion where a lot of like, they'll call call up minor league, but I'm talking about like in contention, like kind of, let bringing these players up to to take swings and hacks in the big league or, or throw pitches. Um so yeah it's been it's it's been good. Uh it was great to actually have an all-star an all-star game. Um it was it was fun to see. Uh it was it was exciting. I enjoyed the uh the home run derby. Really kind of wish Trey Mancini had won it, but going up against literally uh the panda, uh no one was gonna win. Although I so okay. Um right into this all-star game recap um the al1 as is tradition um i'm glad that it's not tied to anything anymore because that was really fucking stupid uh but i am very confused by the way that they do the home run derby because the two best hitters teed off against each other i think it was uh uh it was it was obviously uh pete alonto and i think it was Oh God, what's his name? He's a catcher for I think the Jays. His name I, is escaping me. I got nothing. Yeah, I I I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm just having a brain fart. I'll I'll think it'll come to me at the absolute last second of this podcast. I can guarantee you. Um, but anywho, it was they were like they were like the two best rounds aside from I think Otani and who else see like it's just names are escaping me today anyway it was like the best round and like they both hit like outlandish numbers and then you know so i, I think the way that the uh the home run derby is like set up needs to be different and honest to god i don't want it to be a competition i just want to watch guys go out there and just mash the ball and hit big gongs and then we'll just move on to the next guy it doesn't really matter it doesn't even be a competition i guess that that's really what it boils down to is I don't care if it's a competition. I just want to see home runs, like especially in a, in a league that has in any, in a season that has been absent of them for so long. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to see some home runs. So.
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't actually catch the home run derby, but I, kind of i read the recap and watched some of the highlights and uh just kind of gauge the response that it seemed like everybody had and uh, this was one of the best rated home run derbies in a long time and just the general sense i got from twitter from you know espn from the the general sports hemisphere around the event was that um it was really fun and people really liked it and compared to some of the previous years where there's been a big question about you know, is the all-star game kind of worth the trouble that people really seem to enjoy it this year? Um, and that's good. I think, you know, there is there is some question about the utility of the all-star game. Is it just kind of a waste of everybody's time, especially because it happens in the middle of the year compared to like, um, you know, in football we have, I forget what it is, but it's not the all-star game, but they have the... Uh, Yeah, they have the Pro Bowl, but it's after the season. You know, like it's it's kind of a secondary thing when everything when the season's already wrapped up. It's kind of a secondary activity um, versus the All Star Game is very much smack in the middle of everything that's going on. So I understand. um, You know, there's disparity in how much interest people have in it as an actual event, but it seemed like this year it was good. The um, the Mariners kind of had a weird All Star Game because their representative didn't actually pitch, which was you say. And their other guy, who is probably deserving, JP Crawford, uh, despite several players dropping out, and it seeming like he was going to eventually get a spot, never managed to get on the team either. So the Mariners had kind of a dead All Star game from a team perspective, which is you know, um, I don't know if they have a clear All Star anyway. You know, you say obviously was is their best pitcher and probably their best rep, but they have a team of not all-stars for the most part. You know what I mean? Like even the guys who have played well are not putting up ridiculous performance. They're just playing pretty well. Um so it, it was kind of a a secondary thing for Mariners fans this year, the All-Star game, it wasn't really what we were focusing on, but it was fun. Um the, I think a big reason for that too is because in Mariner world there are a couple of other big stories going on, one of which is you're writing here in the notes, um Rob Manfred continued the suspension of Hector Santiago. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'm a little bit confused on it because obviously they upheld the suspension. He will, you know, miss the ten games. They never bothered to come out and say whether or not he had a foreign substance. Is that correct? They didn't bother to give any kind of chemical not analysis that, or whatever they said they were going to do.
1: Not that I, not that I've seen, and I, I just think it's it, it, it's bullshit because. By extension, that means that Hector Santiago has received a more substantial um, punishment for using, from what we understand and from what he has communicated, an MLB-approved substance on his mitt, on his ball, because that was allowed, uh, that... and he he has received a bigger suspension than the Astros did for literally breaking the game for cheating to a to a level of which by any stretch of the imagination by how the rules have been laid out they should have their world series title revoked they should have their american league pennant revoked right they they like they inherently broke the game And for them to have received zero punishment, oh, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. And for a pitcher to get not just a warning or anything like that to get completely ejected for something where it's incidental at best. Like I I understand the need to crack down on this, but I think right now it needed to be just probably a warning type of thing. Like, hey, uh, go clean your hand off or or something like that. Like something as simple as that. Like, hell, let the let the umps carry like I, I, I shit. You not wet wipes like baby wipes and have them like wipe their fingers off. Like, you know, what I mean, like, just do shit like that. Like don't suspend a play. Ah, fuck you, Rob Manfred.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why it seems like they're bringing the hammer down on people who are complying well, with the rule. You know what I mean? Like there must be it's, some pitcher it, somewhere. violating no, no, it, it and, and,
1: and someone in like the, the MLB subreddit basically summed it up like, or, or maybe it was on Twitter. It was like, it, it was just, a, this is probably the way of like, some big league owner, big wig owner is coming through and being like, you better not fucking suspend my, my like ace. If you do, I will see you in court type of shit. Like, you know, shit like that. And it's like, one, I don't understand how a how a how a rules dispute of baseball puts a um, put someone in court, just like how like for some weird ass reason, a couple of years ago in the NFL, when um, Ezekiel Elliott held out, somehow that ended up in court. And I'm like, the fuck, like what is going on? This doesn't make sense. Anywho, um, but realistically, it just seems like well, one, I, I truly do think that Rob Manfred hates the sport. Um, that he's commissioning because he's doing everything to destroy it. Uh, And then second of all, it, it just seems like the MLB didn't know what they wanted to do with this. So they're doing everything they can. And the problem is, is like this is going to this is going to have the opposite effect. This is definitely going to be a point of contention during the all-star during the CBA discussion. And I guarantee you in a way that probably the idea is that the owners are like, yeah, do this. It'll, it'll like separate, you know, the players union and then they won't like get what they want. And, and that that's probably the cynic in me, but it's like very much, there's just something fishy about the way that they're going about this, because yes, something needs to be done about spin rates. It's, pretty egregious when your elite batting average is 220 like i get that they changed the ball i get that they deadened it so it went further i get that they did all this shit i'm sorry um pitch better that's really my my like i'm like i I don't know what else to tell you don't put don't put spider tack on your hands to spin the ball faster right like but at the same time, now that the MLB is cracking down on it, you can tell the umps don't know anything about the players because there was at one point, um, I don't remember the player's name, but he's a knuckleballer, which if you don't know and you're listening, it's a dude who throws with like zero spin. The ball just flies through the air static, which is you know a cool like physics to like a physics problem because how does it do that? Spin allows it to create force and cut through the air, is et that cetera, etc. etc. Cetera. And so. By definition, he is not going to have spider tack or anything on his hands because he doesn't try to spin the ball at all. Like they don't know what they're doing. And this is this is what pisses me off about the MLB is it's like a bunch of fucking babies running the front office and no one knows what the fuck is happening. And by God's gift, like. I don't know. They're fucking like the the, the the league basically runs itself, and you have a bunch of idiots up there in their ivory tower, just I don't know, doing nothing. Oh, I hate it. All right.
0: Yeah, there's I've good and to... bad to this. the The good is that they are, like you said, they are kind of in their ivory tower. They do have autonomy for decision making to some degree, and I like that they're able to make decisions and institute that and have it go almost immediately you know what i mean like i'd like that they were able to make this change and enforce it i don't like how it's gone i don't like you know what they've done about it but i like that at at least in theory they can do this and i don't know if you saw rob manford had an article i don't know who he was interviewing with a couple days ago but he was talking about getting rid of the shift did you read that at all did you have any chance to to parse that that. I, i
1: did not see that article
0: I think the short answer is that they are looking at manning the shift. They're looking at having the rules be you need to have two players on two two defenders on either side of second base and you can't put infielders in the outfield. Like they have to stay on the on the dirt. Um, I think those are both pretty good rules. You know, without without digging into like granular analysis and thinking about how it's going to affect, you know, like long-term stuff i think that in a very general sense that's probably a good rule so yeah i see i see a little bit of two sides of this i agree that what they've done with so far with the sticky stuff has been bad but i do kind of like the idea of them and rob Manfred mentioned he said that baseball has evolved over time and there are different versions of the sport not just every decade but they like you know every couple of years the sport evolves in in subtle ways and it's kind of fi- finding a happy medium for what the stuff that we like and getting rid of the stuff we don't like. So I did. I like what I, he had I, to say on that.
1: I completely agree. And like, obviously I'm type talking from a hyperbolic state here. Like I'm, I'm I'm exhibiting my frustration with the, and, and a lot of this stems from one, our interdivision division rivals cheated the game so badly and nothing happened to them. Like, that frustrates me and that will always frustrate me uh, also that the Astros switch division switch con- uh, what um, yeah conferences because they were so piss poor in the NL and kept getting blasted that they switched to the AL so that they could be better because we have a weaker division it, it really pisses me off they should have been in the NL like there's no reason that that team should have switched over but I digress um, they could have cheated in that division not ours uh or that conference but what frustrates me the most about the way that rob manfred has handled things is it's the way that he addresses critical baseball issues okay great let's let's do things with the shift it's the tone of which he takes against those type of things um like he's trying to speed up the game he thinks that mound visits are taking too long but that's a objectively, a part of the game and a part of the game that probably shouldn't be trifled with because baseball is all about strategy. It's all about mind games and mental things. And to speed the game up removes a large facet of the game. There's a reason that there, there's a reason that pitchers and catchers and hitters and all of these players are very like for the you know, kind of from a like a broad sweeping statement, they're superstitious to a certain degree. They all take a similar, they all take their very unique way of walking up, getting in the box, doing their own special routines and rituals, right? This is a game that is, I would say. I I don't want to say like 60-40 mental, but like I I would say a large part of this game is between the ears and obviously it takes a a massive amount of skill, right? Like it's like uh, the other day I saw someone tweet like, someone was. they he was like ah, i didn't have the great round Lynn. he was talking about golf that i thought but like hey my like uh, you know my my equipment from i, I think it was shrickson uh it, it was really great and some guy replied like yeah well you still you still miss two cuts and you know he, he's like and, and the and the guy on twitter was just like you know you still miss two cuts and you suck and he's just like I, and and the guy replied Uh, the golfer replied and was like, I would kick your ass any day. And it's just like, that's such a true statement. Like any professional sports player is so much better than your average Joe that you can't even like fathom. And so obviously there's a lot of skill, but so much of baseball is mental. And I feel like what Manfred is trying to do is remove these mental things that are so intrinsic to the sport. Well, yes, the sport does evolve. Um, obviously I think the bigger thing in my opinion and from what I see is that the, you know, banning the shift that's fine and probably should happen because in my opinion, it is eliminating offense, which ultimately is the goal of the game. Not every game should be a one hit one run game. Right. Um, But at the same time, um, when you start extra innings, you shouldn't have an immediate runner Um, or it, right. Those are, those are the type of things where, It it speeds up the game, but it totally breaks the like sanctity of it. I I don't know. I I digress. But really, realistically, it's the way that Rob Manfred approaches making these rule changes and from the context of which he is making them, which, of course, he is the punching bag for the owners. So, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, it does all come back to fuck the owners as well. So.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with all of that. And I think that there's. There's much remaining to be seen as far as what changes they actually do implement to the game and how effective they are and kind of what they actually change about it. So um, but let's pivot from there to something exciting in Mariner's World, which is that our two biggest prospects probably for the rest of the year are up, um, which is Cal Raleigh and Jared Kelnick. Jared, thankfully, will not be setting any dubious records for longest no hit streaks in the major leagues which he was slowly encroaching on last time he was up he has singled twice and then he's i want to say he's been up for two or three games now um cal has not gotten hit yet but he has hit a couple balls really hard he had a couple i think he had two fly ball outs over 100 miles an hour yesterday um they both look good uh i think if i have a tiny hesitation about being super excited about the prospects at this stage it's that everybody looks a little bit raw and they're supposed to, you know, they're, they're prospects They're When we call them up, they're supposed to look a little overmatched and look a little bit like they need to adjust. Um, it would have been cool for me and really for the entire fan base to see somebody come up and really tear it up. And I understand that that is uncommon that prospects, you know, hitting 300 in their first 300 put appearances is just not something that occurs very often. Um, but they they both do look like they're having an adjustment. Cal, in particular, looks like he's seeing, you know, he is. He's seeing the best pitching he's ever seen for the first time. Um, what's what's your gauge of them? I know that I don't think you've gotten to see too much of them on TV, but what are you kind of hoping to see from Cal and Jared going forward? And uh, how excited are you to see our team, the team that we've kind of been dreaming of and hoping of and, you know, hearing about for years, kind of slowly come together at the major league level. We're really starting to see all the pieces here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So like a couple things. One, I think that like to your point about the pitching, um, I think it was Ryan Roland Smith last night when he was talking about Cal Raleigh and he had like, I think it was his first plate appearance of the night. And he was talking about how, right. This is the best pitching they're ever, they're going to, they have seen yet, um, and I think one thing for to to re, to remember is that also the pitchers that are the best in AAA A are usually going to alternate sites, not necessarily to AAA, And that's kind of the problem is so, like, you know, uh, Cal Raleigh has been like crushing it in 45 games in uh, Tacoma. I think he was hitting like 345, 330, something like that, something like. Absolutely wild. And I think ultimately the problem there that comes along is that he has been seeing, I would say, you know, triple a minus for lack of a better term, rather than triple a plus um, pitching, which is, which has made it so much easier. So coming up to the majors, it's like a step and a half, right? Rather than a step up. Um, And so my uh, what I I I hope to see him adjust and I hope that him having Jared who they it seems like they're both really good friends um, who's already gone through this will have a like very obviously very recently he will have that context to say hey so this is what I've seen this is how I've approached it like. This is what went wrong last time. And like they can have that conversation um, that and hopefully that should help. Uh, I have a lot of hope for him. I didn't get to see much of him behind the dish, um, mainly just because like also I I think it's different when you're calling a game with like, you know, an established certified pitcher. Uh, I don't know if he's going to start today. This is kind of the start. I'm more curious to see how he does uh, with uh, Logan. If he does start with Logan Gilbert um sorry for the background noise there um if he does start with logan gilbert that will be more interesting because that's where he is really going to be calling more of the game more so than like with a kikuchi or even with a marco right they they know they, they they've been around a lot longer they're going to call off pitches a lot easier a lot more frequently right so i want to see how cal calls a game with someone like a logan gilbert you know what i mean
0: yeah that is really interesting and it's good that you point that out because uh like you said cal caught logan really at every step of the way all the way up until this season because logan has been like a half step ahead of cal really this whole time but they've been a tandem and it's really cool to see them together at the major league level because the team kind of planned this you know what i mean it's always been sort of the long-term goal that logan was going to be in the major leagues and that cal was going to be catching the major league staff and Um, this is how it was going to work. So the best laid plans are laid right now. You know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself as far as saying like, you know, this is, this is a great thing, but it is really cool that this is happening at all, that there are just so many obstacles for these prospects and for them getting to the major leagues that, to just see a plan like this that has been laid out actually come to pass, even in the absence of success so far, is, is still really impressive. So I'm very happy to see that. Like I said, I'm or like you said, I'm excited to see how Cal and Logan work together. I think we saw a little bit of weirdness last night with Kikuchi and Cal, and I don't know what to make of that just yet. Um, Kikuchi's looked a little off for two starts now, but um, I'm not going to read too far into that. Let me ask you about... We, we want to talk about the run differential, but let's tie that into two other guys first. One is that a couple of weeks ago, probably about a month ago, I was on my first podcast, Lookout Landing, and we were talking about the Mariners' catching situation, and they had Jose Godoy, Tom Murphy catching, and Torrens. They brought him up to kind of be the third guy, and we are wondering, like, is he going to be a DH? Is he a first baseman? And now we have some clarity, which is that Evan White is out for the season. He is having hip labor surgery. Uh, that's a six month recovery time. So get well soon, Evan. But, um, it looks like Terenz is going to be kind of the fill in first baseman, DH third string catcher for a while. He's been tearing it up, hitting damn near 300. Um, looking like one of the better hitters on the team over the past couple of weeks. What have you seen from Terenz? How, I guess my question is this, and I posed this question to Mike earlier this week, which is how much do you buy into his new, his new numbers as being a new normal. Is, is he the guy he's looked like since he was called up from Tacoma, or is he a combination of that guy and the guy who batted 200-220 earlier in the year? How much faith do you have that Terenz is going to continue to be a viable first baseman DH with that bat?
1: Yeah, no, that that is a good question. That's what I'm actually trying to figure out here. Okay, so DH, he has had 13 games and that's all you're going to give me that's literally that what you're not going to give me stats on that that's cool that's cool thank you um where are you no 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 okay all right fine fine be that way be that way baseball reference um yeah i was trying to figure out how many games he's actually been DHing for but i know that he's pulled his his average up quite a bit um because of that because i think he's when he came back up i think he his average was at something like fuck i I think 181 now he's at 215 so clearly he's been like he's been like crushing it um so in in i i don't know um i i think i i want to see him do a little more and, and 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 go a little longer but you know at the same time like that might be what clicks like And who knows, it might be that he is just a certified D.H. Um, And. And that's what. Yeah, I I guess that that ultimately is what um, will hopefully help him uh, kind of regen his back, because the him him hitting dh has put his ops plus up over 100 which is pretty impressive with having a with having a 215 batting average but he is slugging 437 which is like to have a 215 batting average and sl- like clearly he is hitting the, the, the long ball cuz his ops is 718 which is like just above league average but i don't know i i think that, that actually is really impressive um so he has an ops plus of 100 uh he you know i i do wonder how long this is sustainable um because i think we saw something similar from uh ty france in the beginning of the year but i will say that the the league has seen him already so and Ty's Ty's average is, is coming back up as well so hopefully this is this is things uh these good things to come uh, my question though is like you know, ultimately then we're we're stuck with the situation is, you know, once Evan White comes back, and if Evan White can figure out his bat, um, I can understand how a a, a lingering hip injury can really affect your ability to, you know, swing through and and be committal in, in the box. Um, but then we're gonna have a a bit of a uh um I guess a a bit of a I don't know, like it's gonna be a weird situation. Like what the hell do we do? Like we've got we got Ty France who potentially would be playing first base. We've got, you know, unless you want to put him at third, but I don't think he's got the speed or he might be able to get the um the positioning right to to make up for that. Um, like we talked know. about Kyle I, I know I said that he might. Um that you've got Ty France, you've got Luis Torrens, and you've got Evan White like how, and and one of those okay so like one of those is going to DH and then you have got one guy riding the bench. Like, by all intents and purpose, your guy riding the bench would be Evan White. But then why did you give him a $26 million deal?
0: Yeah, I think that when we're looking at the construction of this team, particularly as you just laid it out, I think it only matters for this year because, like you said, it doesn't make any sense if Evan White is here. It doesn't make any sense, too, if the other catchers are hitting. You know, like, Terenz is really interesting as a third catcher slash first base slash DH in the absence of a real first baseman and in a situation where Ty France is also playing second base and first base and stuff. Um, But that's not the optimal alignment. You know what I mean? Like the optimal alignment is to have a real first baseman, is to have Ty France being a backup first baseman and a primary DH, and that immediately squeezes Terence out of a role. And I really like what I've seen from Terence so far. The ISO, the 222 ISO, is the highest he's ever put up anywhere. It's higher than he ever put up in the minor leagues, in fact, and his BABIP is not high. It's 240, so there is some evidence that, like, he's slugging pretty well and he hasn't gotten that lucky. So maybe this, like, you know, kind of like you said, maybe this is sort of what he is. Um, But I think as far as questions for the rest of the year, what to do with Terence in terms of a roster role is one of those big questions. Is that fair to say that Figuring out how we're going to assemble these defensive challenged guys is kind of is part of what we're going to find out over the rest of the year.
1: I I think ultimately that's that's what I'm wondering. And I wonder if like maybe he does become like some like DH slugging phenom if he's got some trade potential, because if we like if we like Ty France's uh, DH and first bases, first base defense over Luis Trenz's DH and first base defense. Maybe his his raw power is what another team is needing, and we can, you know, we can leverage that. So,
0: yeah, I do think he's an interesting trade candidate if a team wants to catch him specifically. Uh, you know, if if a team has a backup catcher role that's open and really wants to plug it with somebody who could potentially hit like a first catcher. I think he's an interesting guy. I think the team is probably more interested in keeping him and trading Tom Murphy just based on their role. They've been using Tom Murphy as an actual catcher, but he's not playing that much. Um, And he hasn't played that well this year at all. And I see his fit with the team diminishing over time. I definitely, I think he will continue to be the the catcher as long as they have all three turns, Raleigh and Murphy on the team, but I could see them, moving him and putting terence back behind the dish um but i'm not totally sure and Terenz's catching defense is also not great so that's a factor as well is that realistically they realistically even though he is a good fit there and a better fit there than in other places you kind of don't want that so um they have a couple of guys obviously who are defensively challenged is a good way to put it but positionless is probably more accurate you know like ty ty france is a dh Larry Torrens sure looks like a DH slash third hitter or third catcher. Um, but if they have to play other spots on the diamond, you're kind of, you're you're negating some of the value. And this is a pet peeve of mine, is that the Mariners do have a habit of playing guys out of position and negating their value. Kaysen be long. shed long. Oh, God. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about shed. Shed is your guy, so let's talk about him. Because I'm really... I'm torn. On the one hand, he hasn't been hitting. He, you know, He had a couple of weeks where he hit pretty well. He's had a couple of weeks since where he hasn't hit pretty well. But the team just seems destined to play him out of position and do everything they can to negate whatever hitting he does manage to pull out. Um, where's your optimism level with Shed and kind of how he's been hitting and how he's looked in the outfield where he definitely doesn't belong?
1: This is what's going to happen, and, 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 and this is only because I've, I've been a Mariners fan long enough to, to know this is going to happen. Shedlong is going to be played out of position in left field. He is then going to be traded to a team, let's say the Dodgers. The Dodgers are then going to bring him up, realize, hey, dude, he's a pretty good defensive second baseman. They're going to put him at second base. He's going to slash 330 and slug like 800, and then the Mar- he's going to end up in former M's, the Mariners subreddit, where every single Mariner who's done something since leaving the Mariners and become an all-star
0: goes so the the chris taylor archetype if you will
1: yeah i I don't think it's going to be that drastic but i do i i do see us getting to a point where we might trade him because for some reason scott service doesn't know how to read the fucking tea leaves and understand that dylan moore is a utility player not a second baseman and you need to put the second baseman on second base and throw the utility player in left field
0: agreed and dylan moore is good at defense and as a utility player that's nice because even if he's not hitting He's good, right? He's good in left field. He's good in right field. He's good at second base. He's good at shortstop and he's passable at third. He is an actual utility player. Shed Long is average to above average at second base and below average everywhere else on the diamond. And let me ask you this Do you think Shed is on this team next year out of spring training? Do you think they give him a roster spot or do you think A, they trade him or B, they stick him in the minors and let somebody get injured? For him to be on the team
1: I think if he gets the chance to really shine at second base I think everything you will see will tick up for him his batting average his his defense even I do think actually he's a plus defender at second base looking back at things looking back in his minors he's he's good he's he's very he's He's better than Dylan Moore at second base, which is just baffling to me. Why Scott service in his infinite wisdom, again, is making a bad decision. And this is this is what ultimately frustrates me about Scott service is that while, yes, he has made some good things, in my opinion, those wins that he has seen this year is simply because he cannot play revolving door with a fucking bullpen anymore. He cannot play Russian roulette with the bullpen anymore, which is his only saving grace because you take that out and we're back to last season where he's literally changing people. I swear to God, mid batter, like, yeah. And that, and that is, that is ultimately Scott's problem because it's very clearly evident this year. He can't put a lineup together. So this is why I'm like, I don't see the point in resigning him. I think he's done pretty decent given the team that he has, but I think the team is doing it in spite of him to be Frank.
0: Yeah, I I somewhat agree with that. I would I definitely agree that I think the three batter minimum has been good for Scott Service because it's forced forces it has un unforced his hand. It has forced him to not be able to make aggressive nitpicky changes to handedness. And as far as the pitchers goes, and that was his whole thing was he was even now at the lineup construction he loves to do the handedness thing. You know if there's a if there's a lefty up and he wants a righty, that's what he figures out whether or not that person is hitting. Whether or not it's a good idea in any other context, and I think that he does that to the detriment of the defense all the time. It's why we see Jake Bowers and Shed Long in right and left field, which is bad, man. Like (laughs) we joke about it in the Slack sometimes, but like, dude, those are not. That's not an outfield. You know what I mean? It's not a real outfield. What we're really hoping is that nobody hits a ball out there, so we don't have to risk it because Shed Long is not a left fielder, Jake Bowers is not a right fielder. Like it It, just.
1: it's frustrating because it comes back, it comes back around.
0: It, 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 I,
1: I don't know if it's truly proven, but I can only guarantee if you play someone out of position, their offense will suffer because they are now spending more time trying to understand, Hey, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I focusing on this? When you play someone in their natural position, that is natural for them. They're not really trying to think too much about it. Obviously they are like, duh, but like, They can then focus elsewhere on other things. And that's what's frustrating to me is that when you look at things like placing people out of position, playing players in places they don't belong, you get to things like, Hey, why is, why is shed long hitting so bad? Right? Why is this not working out for us? Right? Well, Hey, maybe he's focused too much on you playing him in a place where he's never been before. Like, I don't know. It's just frustrating to me because I'm like, this is clearly where he belongs. So um, please figure it the fuck out, Scott.
0: You're right. And even if even if they're hitting doesn't suffer, even if they're playing out of position and the bat is still killing it, it just it takes away so much of the value if the defense is atrocious and like no offense to shed i've been trying to figure out how i would describe shed's defense particularly in the outfield and what i've come up with is that the reason he's plus at second is that he has really good hands he has good instincts and he knows how to line up with the shift and so When you take, when you add all of those factors, he doesn't need to be rangy, so to speak. He doesn't need to have the widest, you know, what is it, UZR ultimate zone rating. He doesn't need to like get balls that are far away from him all the time. When you stick him in the outfield and you ask him to run stuff down, the range comes into play a lot, and the hands are out of play because he can, you know, he's not catching stuff. It's it's out of his range. So I think that. Well, I'm looking at the Mariners right now. I'm looking at the bottom half of their, their war list, and Shed is their fourth-worst player, and he really he's their worst player of guys who are still on the team. Kelnick is on the bottom, but he's a rookie. Shedlong is really the next big guy on this list, and he's at negative .4 war. And the, the defense is just sinking him, man. It's sinking him bad. But let's pivot because I don't have that much time today, but let's talk about Jake Fraley before we go into our second half predictions and talk about the run differential. So let's let's tie this all together. Jake Fraley has had the most surprising first half of anybody on the Mariners so far, I think. Would you agree with that, that he's kind of the surprise of the first half?
1: Yeah, truly, uh, he is. He's putting up a war of 1.6. He's had 114 at-bats. Said seven home runs. His batting average is like weirdly low, right? It's 237, but he's slugging 439 and he's got an on-base percentage of 409, which means the dude walks a fuck ton. He walks more than Hal from Malcolm in the Middle walks. Dude is just (laughs) killing it. Um, he, he has an OPS plus of one forty three, right? Like his career OPS is 99, which is pretty impressive given that he's only had 180 at bats in total, like in his first 180 at bats, he's worth 0.8 war in his career. Like that to me is, yeah, that, that, that puts you trending pretty, pretty far. I I don't know. I don't know what the projection on that would be, but I, I guarantee you it's not, it's not going to end negative. Um, so I look at this, and to me, from from what I see, is that, one, I think that...
0: Looking at his, his fielding here. Not, hold on. Just glancing at his numbers, it's wild that he has a 25% strikeout rate and a 22% walk rate. So basically 50% of his plate appearances are a walk or a strikeout. That's pretty strange
1: it's That's so amazing. weird it's like if mike zanino had plate discipline but at the same time anytime he did see a ball he just swung for it for the fences so it's basically mike zanino with plate discipline is the ba- this is the way i watch it one second apparently there's got to be a giant accident because there are sirens coming <laughs> yeah i direction. can hear it
0: it sounds like there's shit going down wherever you are <laughs> Again, oh man. i
1: don't know what's happening i'm so sorry the it's sirens are on our end, are on our end. I apparently live right next to it. I live right next to near a fire station, but I've never heard this many on a Sunday morning.
0: Uh, Alex is in a crime ridden area.
1: <laughs> uh, probably. <No>. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that that is a, a fascinating thing is when you, somehow you can strike out nearly as much as you walk, but you, I don't know, he's very interesting and, and and um yeah it's just it's an interesting thing so i but i don't know why he's out of the lineup right
0: now uh he's sick so i was wondering oh, that too, okay. if or, yeah if he had re-aggravated the quad or you know he had like an acl pull or something earlier in the year uh apparently he has the flu it's not covid the, the team was very specific that he doesn't have covid not covid symptoms but he there's been a flu going around and apparently he got it and now Jake Bowers has it because Bowers was scratched a late scratch last night so um something's going around in the in the clubhouse so we'll we'll see how that plays out but let's let's tie that into two things one is which the team has the weirdest run differential um certainly in the division but they're one of the odder teams in the league in terms of their actual win loss versus their run differential And so let's do two things. Let's let's look at the run differential. And let me ask you this. Do you think that especially given like the way last night went, it sure seems like the Mariners win close games, lose blowouts, and sort of are a 500-ish team with just a way below average run differential. Um, Do you expect that to continue in the second half? Do you think that that's really the hallmark of this team and really the identity of this team? Or do you expect them to play better or to play worse over the second half do you where do you see that run differential going in terms of positive or negative and tie it into how you see the team performing as well do you think the pitching is a little better you know given that we can expect marco to be healthier given that you know sheffield's out of the rotation um kind of give it give me a general trending on the hitting the pitching the defense and the run differential
1: Um, yeah, definitely. Okay. So one, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, statistics just tell you that it's not sustainable. There's no way in hell that you can allow three uh, that you can only score 380 runs and allow 435 runs and continue to be plus 500. Or so we thought, and here we are halfway through the season and we're 49 and 44, but we should be per run differential and everything 41 and 52. Um, you know, ultimately, but yeah, you can, you know, you look at the game result results bar here, and I'm actually going to copy this and send it to you. And because I think that this is going to be, um, a good indication, but and you're totally right. We either it, it, it's kind of a, a wish wash, we win close games, like you said, or we get blown out in such a way that is comical, um, or very mariners, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, but. You know, ultimately, it's we win close games or we kind of semi blow someone out or we're getting blown out ourselves, which is, I think, why to an extent why that run differential is okay, um, because we win those close games. And that's ultimately what matters is if you're winning those one one run games and you win two out of three pretty much through every series, you're going to you're going to end up over 500 and we somehow continue to do that. Cause we got obliterated last night, but if tomorrow, if today we end up just, you know, doing well and winning the game, we took two out of three of the angels and we're doing great. Um, so that, that's the big deal. I, I think one of the things that we, that we really need to look at is our pitching and our starting pitching. So hopefully the, the, the hope is that Marco is, is okay. And his forearm strain is getting better. Um. I'm about to have more sirens hit my background. I have no <laughs> idea what happened. Here comes oh, that's all good.
0: Um, I, give me, give me a general up or down for pitching and hitting for the second half.
1: So I think our pitching is going to be down. Our hitting is going to be up. I think ultimately our pitching though, though being down will not be as down as if we had kept justice Sheffield in the lineup. Um, I think he needs to be cut from the team to be Frank. I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he ever will be. I don't think he has it to be Frank. Um, So that that's really, that's really what it comes down to uh, in, in my opinion uh i think that that's what we'll see from the second half i don't think we'll make the i don't think we'll make the postseason i don't think we'll make a wild card spot or anything like that but i do think that we will be i think we will be a disruption of a team for anyone who comes through who does who is on that track i think we will be kind of one of those sneakily not good teams but average teams um and I do think we'll give it an exciting end of the season. Hopefully, there's not the uh, the August collapse like we uh, usually see. So hopefully, we just continue on trend.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think what would be fun too is if the Mariners played spoiler for one of the All Star teams, or excuse me, for one of the uh, the Wild Card teams is what I meant to say. Um, yeah. You know, and kind of hung around the fringes of that second Wild Card with the Blue Jays and with you know whoever else, and kind of made that a little more interesting. I think that'd be fun. Um, it's interesting. You said you think the bats will be up, and you think the the pitching will be. Or you said you, you said bats up, pitching down. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Um. I think I'm going to go the other way. I, I talked to this with Mikey about this same issue on our podcast, and it's interesting because the pitching has actually, as bad as it's performed, has put up okay results, and the hitting has put up just bad results. So I think in terms of expecting. Up or down. It, you can't expect the hitting to be better. I think it's an open question how much. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they have anybody on the team I really expect to just turn it on and really light it up more than they have. Um, so we're talking marginal performance increases from guys like Torrens and guys like Dylan Moore and, um, you know, Tom Murphy. Um, the thing that would really sweeten the pot for me and make the second half so much more interesting is if one of Cal or Jared really got hot and turned it on and had kind of like a month to really tease us for next year. I would, I would love that personally. Um, I would like to see Kyle back. Um, you know, obviously we still don't have a timeline on this injury, but it sounds like he's maybe going to do baseball stuff this month. So if Kyle Lewis is back at the end of August, early September, I think that would be a big deal as well. Um, in terms of a general trending, I'm going to say pitching is trending down. I, man, I, I like, the odds that Marco pitches better, but I agree with you. I don't know what they do with Sheffield. I'm kind of of the opinion that maybe he doesn't pitch the rest of the year, that they work on stuff with him and he's in Tacoma or he's... I, I just don't think sending him to the bullpen does very much because he's not really a relief pitcher. I don't think his stuff or his repertoire plays up any better there. Um, you're getting done back, which would be good, I think, You know, so many of the starting pitchers outside of Yusei and Chris Flexton have really just given kind of mediocre total results that even if it trends up, I have a hard time seeing it being way better. Um, So I think that such a cop-out answer. I think a little bit down on the pitching, a little bit up on the hitting, but they're both kind of where they should be to some degree. Um, What could really surprise and could really make it more interesting is some of the rookies playing better. So, but let's do this. We did first half dark horses. Um, I picked Chris Flexen, who obviously has had an up and down year, but mostly an up year and been with the Mariners more valuable pitchers. You picked Shed Long for the first half. Give me a dark horse for the second half.
1: Uh, Marco, I think he's going to... Well, I mean, it's contingent on where his his forearm injury is, which is, uh, in my opinion... OK, so if Marco's forearm heals is healed and is doing better than Marco, um, if not, uh, I'll, I'll put Dunn on there. I, I think Dunn actually has a lot of upside. I think that he can work his way up to a number three a number two. Even um, I think that especially if he continues to work on. Uh, pitch location over pitch speed. I think that that'll be a big deal and maybe adding and maybe refining one of his uh, secondary or tertiary pitches. Uh, the reason I go with Marco, though, is that if he can get it back when he started this season, he actually looked pretty good. He looked a little shaky, but I mean, given that we were coming off a very strange year and even a very bizarre preseason um you know spring training it, it was it was understandable um and he was actually looking pretty dominant up until that forearm strain which really like threw him off and i i this is another situation where i i fault the management of the mariners in scott service is that if your pitcher has a forearm strain on his pitching arm you need to put him on the 60 day dl not the 10 day or il sorry um because uh that is literally what he uses to grip and change his grips on the ball. That forearm is everything to a pitcher. It's, it's spin rate, it's, it's wrist action, it's everything, right? And so a small forearm strain can get exacerbated if you don't give it the time to truly heal and recuperate. And I feel like Scott rushed Marco back. Or Marco rushed himself back. And Scott's job is to be there as the manager. A part of that is coming in and telling the player, "No, you will sit on the bench. You will warm it, and you will watch because your arm is worth more to us than a half alive arm." So um, I, I think that that's that's really it. Um, but I I digress.
0: Thank Marco's you, Marco. Marco's a good pick. Great. <laughs> Marco's a good dark horse pick. Um, I'm gonna say Dylan Moore. I think that he's hit really poorly over the first half and he has had a rough couple of weeks here before the all-star break. Um, He's hit four time or excuse me. He has four hits in eight plate appearances coming out of the all-star break. So he's turned it on a little bit. Um, I think that his bat is the most likely to come alive of anybody currently on the roster. Uh, Yeah, he's kind of my dark horse. I agree with what you said about Marco, not necessarily coming back too early, but the team being not conservative enough with how they use the 60 day DL or IL, excuse me. Um, You know, they put Evan white on the 10 day IL originally. They put Marco on the 10 day IL. And then these guys missed much more than that. I'd like to see them just kind of accept reality and give guys the time that they need and not kind of have it be in between where, you know, they're off the IL, but, or, you know, excuse me, the 10 days have expired and they might be coming back. The team hasn't said anything. There's kind of this limbo that they put a couple of guys in. Um, I'd like to see them shut it down a little more and let guys really get healthy. But I like your, I like your picks. I like Dunn. I like Marco. Um, I think Dylan Moore is interesting. I think Terenz is also a good pick-to-click for the second half just because of how well he's been hitting lately. Um, and I'm really excited for the second half of baseball for the Mariners and to just see how this all comes together. And the truth is, is that even when they're not playing well, like last night, um, the team is interesting because so many of the future pieces are here and we get to see a little bit of that You know, just a tease of what they really could be in action. Um, But that's it for me. Do you have anything else for today, Alex?
1: No, that's everything. I'm really, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of this team. Right now, it's a little, what the fuck's happening? But honest to God, I I am truly excited. Uh, I think that there's a lot of upside. I think this team has a lot of, um, has places to go. And I do think within a season, maybe two, we'll see them in the postseason maybe they won't make it to the world series. Maybe they'll just make it to a couple divisional rounds, but ultimately I think this team can't compete. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where we
0: end up. I agree. Well, on that note, how about you take us out?
1: Awesome. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us this week. I, uh, uh, if you enjoyed it, you can catch us on Twitter. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up my Twitter because again, dyslexic person's worst nightmare here. <laughs> um, this is at, N D L S S S M M R Endless Summer. Uh, you can you can catch the podcast. It gets tweeted out there every Tuesday, uh, or we try to, or every other Tuesday. Um, I'm Alex. You can catch me, Alex. To the Andrew, Evan. Where can they find you?
0: They can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio or EvanJamesAudio.com. Um, I'm doing a couple of Mariners podcasts and Mariners related things lately. So if you like listening to me and Alex and you know, you like what we have to say, and you like our analysis, there are a couple of places you can find me in particular and, uh, yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Go Mariners. We're excited to see how the rest of the the season plays out and, uh,